My name is Parker Bennett, and I've spent the last 20 years helping people through the process of their largest single investment they may ever make, their home. From building inspector to real estate agent, I've chalked up a number of great experiences and strategies for everything related to the home buying experience. This podcast is dedicated to anything and everything around the Kamloops real estate market. Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Welcome everybody to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast, your source for absolute informative and just great damn information real estate related in our lovely city of Kamloops. Starting off today, it is July 13th, which means the Bank of Canada met again today. Um, and we have a 100 point increase in the bank rate, which is going to result in higher interest rates moving forward. All news that we expected that was coming, all news that we hoped we would wake up and not have in our reality. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the interest rates. Currently, uh, the benchmark price uh, or interest rate is 5.25 for mortgages, prime sitting at 4.7. And uh, right now, if you're qualifying for a mortgage, you're going to need to qualify at 7.04 for a fixed rate mortgage. It's getting up there. Uh, If you're taking a uh, variable rate, you can still keep that number uh, sub six anyways at 5.8. So all these numbers mean nothing to you unless you're actually shopping for a mortgage. But interest rates are on the rise. And we all knew that uh, the 8% inflation rate of Canada... Uh, there was going to be a recourse for us. That recourse is unfolding right in front of our very eyes. I hope to see inflation drop soon so that the interest rates will settle and people will be so darn confident to spend some money in the real estate world again. Uh, On that note, uh, I always like to do these two-week increments of what the market is doing. And so going back two weeks from today, our current sales volume in single-family detached homes is 39 sales over the last two weeks. That number is excessively low compared to every other two-week increment that we've had this year and probably any other year for the last 50. Um, Numbers are down. Um, And the kind of like the benchmark piece of information that I like looking at is the multiple multiple offers over asking And out of that 39 sales, and I do want to define this a little bit better, out of the 39 sales in the last two weeks, that's just detached homes. There's all kinds of more sales, condos, townhouses, commercial property, rural property farms. But we're looking at single-family detached homes because it's kind of a good benchmark for Kamloops stuff. And uh, we started this two-week evaluation process back in March. We were seeing 61% of all single-family detached homes going into multiple offers. And we've worked our way down to the last two weeks with 18%. So we will continue to probably see that number. And if you're going to hold me to a number, I'm going to say it's going to get to about 8 or 10%. It'll probably sit there. Because there's always a couple properties every, uh, every month that are priced correctly or, you know, seductively. And it, it gets a bunch of attention from a bunch of buyers. So um, interest rates are up. Yes, uh, still some multiple offers going on. Um, But I do have a little tidbit for you. So I went back to 
The same month in 2008, which was our last major housing crash, so to speak, um, and I looked at the multiple, sorry, I looked at the median house price for single family detached homes. And that was $399,000 for a, your average Kamloops home, okay? Back in 2008. And so the buyers that are running around right now worried about whether or not they should purchase at this inflated time in our real estate market. Today's median house price for a single family detached home is 850K. So if you had purchased in 08 and your dad told you, son, you silly fella, you just bought at the peak, uh, wouldn't you be happy today when you just realized you'd made 500, 500K, 450,000 bucks? Um, I guess the moral of the story is real estate is pretty a pretty smart bet moving forward in the macro sense, but micro, I, I know I speak about this all the time on podcasts, but micro looking at it from a lens, uh, evaluating the last 12 months or whatever, is never really the ideal number to be looking at, but uh, from a macro, good investment. Uh, that's your tidbit. Actually, no, I got one more. This is a good one. Okay, so I'm sitting in front of a little uh, market update analyzing the MLS activity for the end of June, 2022. And if I look at all the sales volumes so far to year, we're sitting at $1,185,000,000 in transactional revenue through real estate. I was like, wow, that, that number is huge, right? So then I tried to figure out, well, how much property transfer tax was taxed on that? And I came up with a, a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, an equation to get that number. And so far, we're only at halfway through the year. But we have $18 million in property transfer tax. Son of a gun. It's provincial too, right? So uh, Albertans aren't seeing any of that money. Anyways, that's my tidbit. Moving on, we have a special guest today. I want to make sure that I say it right, but it's Matt. Fill it in. Doing. Doing. I want to say Dewing. I think I've called you Matt Dewing before. <laughs> Matt Dewing from uh, Mid City Electrical is here. We're going to talk about Sparks. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a couple of things today. We're going to talk about some of the real intricacies of uh, issues that come up on home inspections and maybe transactional stuff in the house. Matt, tell me about yourself. Who are you? I am a journeyman electrician, licensed. Uh, I've had my business now for about 12 years. I've done everything from hospitals to industrial pump houses to residential. So, I, what's your what's your favorite? I don't have a favorite. You're just like working. I enjoy a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I like to uh, try something new and challenge myself all the time. Nice. Right on. So tell me about hospitals. What was that like? Hospitals are uh, technical. Yeah, I can a, see that. There's a lot of uh, a lot of different moving parts to a hospital with nurse call systems, fire alarm systems. A lot of data, right? Like a lot of data. Yeah, there's structured cabling, all yeah. the data work, and uh, and then you get into odd equipment, X-ray machines, where you know they're imported from other countries, and oh. occasionally you have to deal with the certification of that equipment to make it usable in this country. And interesting. Yeah, it's. Yeah. It, 
and it, there's a lot of moving parts to it. You, you probably don't get a lot of reverse polarity in hospital application, I'm thinking. No, no, there's actually a lot of testing involved too. So once you're, you're once done. Once you plug something in? Yeah, once you're done, and it's all engineered and specified. So once you're done to that level, there's a third party that you get in to test it. Oh, wow. Okay. At least for the patient care areas. And you're not, you're not really from Kamloops, are you? No, I'm actually uh, from Abbotsford. A defector. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, I escaped. Yeah. No, I was, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I think if you grabbed 10 people in Kamloops randomly, I think nine of them would be somewhere from the Fraser Valley. Yeah. The other person would be from Vancouver. Running away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's just a better place to live. That's what I think. So. Yeah, love it here. Yeah, so you've been here for how long? Um, about a year now. Okay. Yeah, not too long. And when you were in Abbotsford, so obviously, it, like when you say electrical work in hospitals, I guess that's the MSA. Is that where you would have worked there? Um, all over uh, in the Lower Mainland. Uh, when you live down there, everywhere is a, a work it's zone. It's feasible, so, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, Vancouver General, Royal Columbian, all over the place. So. Right. Do, yeah. you, do you find that hospitals have a unique smell? <laughs> yeah, especially when you get into the tunnels and the uh, service the areas. Tunnels? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the tunnels. VGH has an underground tunnel system. That's where all our mechanical stuff all is? All the mechanical stuff runs through there, and uh, there's service corridors to get away. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get spooky. down there, it's kind of dark. There's no windows, and there's random rooms. and yeah. Just mechanical stuff everywhere. Yeah, it connects all the different sense. buildings underground, so yeah. it's kind of neat. Huh. Yeah. You know, one thing I always noticed about hospitals was every plug is labeled. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah, know, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of an eyesore, but it sure is handy when you need to do some troubleshooting. Try and figure out something. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So today we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna peek into the brain of an electrician to figure out some of the issues that we typically run into in like the real estate world where, you know, it's not so much like an install. It's more like a, somebody's uninstalled something and installed maybe less um, professionally. Let's call it the handyman electrical stuff that could be part of the issues that we run into. Yeah. Um, let Let's kind of start with like like a top ten. I'll give you like my top ten, and you tell me what your top ten would be, or maybe you can just like feed off me a little bit for some of the things that I would come up with. Coming from like a past inspector, these were the issues that I noted that, that came up a lot, um, and we talked about this before the podcast, but one of them was like pools. Mm -hmm. And you have like a little bit of, you have a little more intimate understanding of pools, don't you? Yeah. Can yeah, I? I've definitely, uh, well, I've done some work in pools as well, yeah. Nice, and like, do you feel that there's a missing piece to that equation? Oh, definitely. Like every like, pool built that's like, let's say not new and recently inspected, yeah. is just an electrical hazard waiting to happen. Yeah, because nobody can wait to get it running again, so they just make it work. Make it work. They just make it work and make it work, and lots of years of making it work, it's not good. It's right. not good in the long <laughs> run. If you, if you know what you're looking at, it's, uh, it's rarely safe. <laughs> so my sister probably listens to this podcast. Maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. I don't know. She might correct me on this, but this is how I remember it. She, she works in a field where uh, if you go away on holidays, you know, you might buy that very specific insurance, like life and whatever, medical insurance for travel insurance. Yeah. And she would be the person that would like negotiate settlements from the insurer to the hospital. 
which is in like outside of Canada, that's a real thing. Yeah. Right? Like Mexico, you're negotiating every deal. Yeah. And she, she told me one time that you'd be surprised how many people die from hazards on holidays. <laughs> and so much of it is electrical. <laughs> so like the day she told me this, she was like, yeah, there was two kids. They just graduated, went to Mexico, went to like a three-star all-inclusive. They're in the pool, playing volleyball, ball bounces out of the pool. One kid walks up, goes to get the ball and just, <clears throat> that's it. Wow. Just gets fried. Um, spooky. Oh my God. Sounds yeah. like some crazy landscape lighting or something. I don't know. I don't know. I went, <laughs> I went to a wedding in Mexico. We went to a brand new resort and I, we were in this uh, family wing, which was like a, the, the newest, we were the first people to stay in this suite. And there was this all tile floor. It was like really nice. And then there was like these little pot lights along the floor. And I noticed like one didn't have a light in it, right? Yeah. And so like me and my kid were kicking this little like ball around, right? And it kind of goes up to this light. And I kind of grab it. And I look in there and I, I see wires and I see ball wrapped up. Well, yeah. I just got to know, right? So I pull the wires out. I untape it. I get my wife to take the bulb out of the lamp. And I open up the wires and I, yep, she's she's hot, right? <laughs> so I call the I call the front desk and I'm like, hey, this this thing's like there's like live electrical wires in my suite, and they send on this kid. He's like 15 with a roll of black tape, and he's like, no, no, senior, it's all good. And he just rolls it back up and tapes it, and shoves it back in there, and then puts an X with tape on <laughs> the spot. And he's like, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> And then wow. I'm looking at the pool. We're on ground level. And I'm like, the pool is like almost level with the, the suite we're in. And we're like footsteps from it, right? Yeah. Man, if that pool ever overflowed, yeah, it's going to short out. Yeah, there's definitely a lack of regulation over there. Yeah. You know, they can kind of just make it work over and over. Kind of like the pool situation here. Sure. <laughs> so in pool electrical, what would you say are like some of the, the common issues? Well, I'd say you want to pay attention to your, your GFIs, and they should be tested probably <coughs> once a month, which no one ever does. Right. Um, that's that little button on the breaker um, or on the plug, depending on which method they chose to do it. Um, and then next up would be your grounding. So all of your electrical parts need to be grounded. So you should have a ground cable separate from the power cables attached to your pumps and even the walls of your pool when it's being built and um, you know basically any electrical components you have a UV filter it should be grounded and on a GFI and right define GFI for people who don't know what that is it's a ground fault circuit interrupter so, so how does that GFI or GFCI it's same thing right yeah circuit interrupter yeah so yeah. what that does is there's different levels of it but a, a class A is what's required to protect life it will trip at five milliamps, which is uh, what's required to save your life. Right. Anything more than five milliamps has been proven to be able to stop your heart or cause permanent damage. Right. So it's going to sense anything leaking from the hot wire to the ground. And that's, that is what can actually travel through the ground and cause shock, even if you're not touching the electrical equipment. Even if you're just in the vicinity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It could be an extension cord near that just gets wet, that leaks into the pool or something like that. It's right. just going to... Electricity is really lazy. It's going to find the path of least resistance. Right. So, I feel like whatever a, that is... I feel is, like that's a t-shirt for an electrician. Yeah, yeah, it is. Electrical uh, is lazy. <laughs> it is, yeah, it should be. 
Yeah. Right yeah. Okay, so pools are kind of like potential areas where there could be a lot of issues. And I know that older pools, like, you know, pumps have been changed, you know, probably homeowner changed the pump and maybe that ground cable doesn't fit and so they leave it off. The pump yeah. still works. Yeah. So it should be good, right? Yeah. And then a lot of like interior grade cable, like like Lumex, yeah. exposed to the elements, exposed to like low levels on the ground. Yeah. Be a common thing, right? How about the aluminum shed structure covering the pool? And like I always think when I see the pool mechanics inside one of those little aluminum sheds that are like, I mean, you don't buy an aluminum shed anymore, it's too expensive, mm-hmm. but in the old days you'd have an aluminum shed. I always be worried about touching that shed. Because if anything's like shorting, that shed is like just a superconductor of like. Power. Well, it, it should be grounded. Like if, if it's it's not necessarily a rule, but uh, yeah. you know, if, if you've attached any electrical equipment to it, it would be grounded as a byproduct of that. So yeah, yeah, okay. But uh, yeah, you do you do see that just to protect the equipment from the weather, right? Even though most of the equipment is weatherproof. Do you do you need like any special licenses to do pool stuff, or is it general electrical? I'm not sure. Well, not not for the electrical portion of it. You just you need an electrician to do that. Uh, that gotcha. Part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll buzz through some quick and easies. Reverse polarity. Yeah. Every home built in thirty years old has got reverse polarity somewhere, and it's probably not an original design problem, but more like an update, homeowner updated switches, plugs, whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, how vulnerable is reverse polarity? How how big of a problem is that in the house? Um, I'd say it's a fairly big problem because uh, all your light sockets are wired in a way so that your hot wire is in the back of the light socket so that the exposed part of the light socket, the screw shell on the outside, right. is supposed to be your neutral. And the neutral is not safe to touch, but there's less of a risk with it. Gotcha. So when you re- reverse the polarity, you've now put... The part that's going to shock you closer to you when you're doing something as simple as changing a light bulb on a lamp that's plugged in or changing a light bulb on a fixture. That'd be one of the issues. Uh, Your electronics, LEDs, all kinds of things are going to, you're going to get some odd problems that aren't going to really make sense until you get into the internal workings of it. Gotcha. I can see LEDs. That would probably be an issue, the way that those things are buzzing along. Yeah. Yeah. You can get humming and flickering and all all different kinds of problems. I mean, I've seen it all. It really depends on the, the type of equipment that's being used, so. Here's a, let's put a stamp to a myth. You're changing a light bulb, like let's just say a regular light bulb, hmm. in a light fixture on your ceiling. And you wanna do it safely, so you turn the light switch off. <laughs> How safe is that? Well, it's safer than doing it with the light switch on. <laughs> but, but if it's reverse polarity? Well, if it's reverse polarity, yeah, um, it depends if the switch was wired opposite as well. Right. But it's it's yeah, you would be live up at the locks uh, at the socket if it was wired correctly. Right. Which would not be safe. Yeah. Right. And it would be especially not safe if you were trying to change that light fixture out. Yeah. <laughs> I would say. Can I ask a really basic question? Yes. Yeah. How does polarity become reversed like is it just a matter of the wrong wire to the wrong I would say it's usually someone that's not qualified to work on the system they've 
you know, tried to fix or add or, or do something uh, without realization cross those wires at some point and it can be tricky to find sometimes but um, typically it's just an unqualified individual that's done that got it Let, yeah. let's say you got a plug and this is where the neutral wire should be and this is where the hot wire should be and someone wires it the wrong way it's that simple they're going to check it by putting in something like appliance they're like, it works. And they're like, it's good. But it's reversed. Right. So. I actually uh, had a job once where they had a handyman guy do the electrical, and they couldn't figure out why things weren't working in that. And got into it a little bit more, and he had wired the entire place with the colors backwards. Everything. Oh. And I, I ended up reaching out to him and saying, what the heck did you do that for? He said, so I knew which work I did there. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so I mean that that's a you know a good example of someone that should not be doing electrical work Fair at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, ungrounded plugs, probably pretty common in Kamloops, being that we have a lot of like houses that were built pre-grounding plugs, two yeah. wires. Yeah. And now we have uh, renovations happening, and they put you can't buy an ungrounded plug. Yeah. So you put a plug that's. Got a ground it looks like it physically got a ground socket, mm -hmm. but it's not grounded. Yeah. So in that case, you'd probably want to put a GFI on there. Okay. Yeah, and you want to take that uh, there. It's just it's going to give you a little bit extra protection on there. So you put a GFI, not to get too technical. This is interesting. On something to me. without a ground. Yeah. You you so your ground plug would be monitoring to the junction box. Yeah. For for leakage. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. That's probably too technical for this Which, podcast. you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, I would probably just call an electrician. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did say to Mallory before this, she's like, so what are we going to, what are we going to get? What's yeah. our goal here? And this is going to be just to call an electrician. Yeah. We're not teaching anyone how to fix anything. Yeah, yeah. it was like, well, what solutions can we provide to people? And like, it's, it really comes down to... We'll give them Matt's number. Uh, yeah, and like electrical work shouldn't be taken lightly that there's a reason you've been to school for 1,000 years or so <laughs> to become an electrician. Yeah. Um, and then again, back to school, as you were saying um, before we started recording, that you have red, you're Red Seal certified. Yeah. And then had to go back to school and you didn't realize to go be... To get a license. To get your license stopped. Yeah. So you go back to school to get an FSR, which is a field safety rep. Once you have an FSR in electrical, then you can apply for a contractor's license. Once you have a Red Seal journeyman, an FSR, and a contractor's license, then you can start pulling permits and doing projects on your own. But one of the things with electrical is that it is constantly evolving. Right. We get a new, new code book every three years now. It used to be every four years, but now we're on to every three years because technology is changing so fast. So quick, yeah. So the, let's define the difference because we got. We have an electrician who who's, let's say, graduated through BCIT and he's um, he's an electrician, and he goes for work to work for an electrical company, who's now, being. I don't want to use the word babysat, but let's say overseen mm -hmm. by a licensed electrician. Yeah. FSR. Yeah. So. What would that guy be missing in his field work as an electrician that would be different than if you were a licensed contractor? 
uh, he would not have an understanding of the laws in BC behind what it takes right. to um, understand the liabilities and everything of being nice. a, an electrical contractor. It's an excellent point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. Uh, yeah. Red Seal is not necessarily a licensed electrician. Just an electrician. Yeah. And there are different levels of licensing. Yeah. So you can be licensed just for houses. You can be licensed for under 750 volts, which would kind of open up the door to commercial. Yeah. Or you can carry a license for high voltage work and run power lines to right. the cities and, and be unlimited, basically. So just do everything spark even added. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I think this area of where licensing and legalities and liabilities in your field of work as an electrician kind of meets your field of work, Parker, as a realtor in terms of knowing what, like there's, I think that's where a lot of this conversation meets, like your expertise and your expertise. I didn't know that you, I didn't know what that difference meant. Oh, okay. So I didn't know that if you have a friend who is an electrician who is doing work at your house on the side, let's mm-hmm. say, he may not understand the full legalities of what his scope of work is allowing him to do legally. Legally, yeah. Because he's just doing a very specific task in his job. That's yeah. It. Right. Yeah, and that, that's where, um, well, technical safety oversees most of the electrical in BC. Right. Um, and they, they are basically the enforcement body for electrical and gas and elevators, that kind of work, right? So there's limited sections, like limited trades that are regulated, meaning there are laws that are to be followed yep. to do that work. And if you don't follow those laws, there are penalties that can be put forth and they're strict. They, they will find it and that they're building systems to increase that enforcement. Right. Especially with the way the world is becoming more and more digital, um, that there is no hiding, right? So right. they're going after, you know, handymen that are doing electrical. And so do you have any more, like, do you have any more examples of that? Of the enforcement protocols or tools at their disposal that may allow them to be able to find non-conforming, illegally, illegal wiring? Yeah, so they... Um, one one of the avenues they can use actually are uh, MLS photos, right? So damn realtors. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, they they can look at the listing photos and and the listing descriptions and actually scan them to see if there was a newer renovation and then check the address to see if a permit was pulled for that work. You it's, can't install new pot lights without having a permit. That permit is permanently attached to the record of that house. So it's it's they can do this remotely now. Yeah. This is, we're living in a world that's connected, right? So, so is there like like AI technology that's doing this on a regular basis? Like, like reading MLS numbers? It's not AI yet, but from what I understand, they're working on an app that will be doing that. So, you know, my only problem, my only dispute for this would be, why didn't you do it a long time ago? So at least we had more records of old electrical stuff. Uh, well, if you look at the way the older houses were wired, it just, it wasn't an issue. Right. Um, like, it, it was an issue, but it wasn't recognized. We weren't at a point in society where we were worried about being shocked. That's my point of view, at least. Like, my opinion is, like, they, I walk into some of these older houses, and, you know, there's a bedroom with one plug, and you're lucky to even see a light on the ceiling. Right. 
It's like, why did they build a room without a light in it? But it just, it <laughs> wasn't an issue. Candles were available. Yeah. yeah you know, they, it was there. Lighting. Burn your house down. Sconces. Right? Yeah. So, they, I mean, you, you used to see all kinds of silly things like that or hidden junction boxes. And the further back you go, yeah. the more unsafe it got. Yeah. So if you look at a house that was wired in the 50s, or if you look at like a knob and tube wiring, you're going to start finding some pretty unsafe situations. True. And that was a combination of people would just do their own stuff and make it work with what they had. There was only two wires to deal with. Yeah, there right? was only two wires, yeah. So, yeah. And they would just twist them in the wall and tape them up and that's good, yeah. right? So, but now we're at a point where we can increase that safety and we can prevent those lives that could be lost, so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, knob and tube is not something I see a ton of in Calumps, but there, you know, I think a lot of it has been rectified. Yeah. But there's probably still a lot of hidden knob and tube in attics. Yeah, that people don't even know is there. Yep. What is knob and tube? Good question, Mallory. Mm-hmm. Great question. Yeah. Thank you. Knob and tube is uh, it was a two wire system that was brought in, and it was the hot wire run around a porcelain isolator. It was just screwed into the joist, and there was no like the the most of the wire we use now is what we would call double insulated. So it has an outer jacket and an inner jacket. This was just single conductor strung along porcelain knobs to keep it away from the wood. Okay, I can picture that now. Yeah, and that would just run through the walls and into your electrical devices. It was probably pretty fun to be an electrician back then. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Dangerous. You You probably turned it on and worked on it. (laughs) Probably, right? Because every time you did a circuit, you could put a light on it and you'd have light for the next circuit. (laughs) Yeah, they used to have a temporary lighting system called a brewery cord where they just clipped the light bulbs onto it and they would work wherever they wanted, right? So kind of like a temporary lighting, but uh, very unsafe. Yeah, (laughs) just more dangerous. Yeah. I've seen uh, new build construction temporary uh, systems before. Yeah. Especially in the winter one. Trades are trying to heat things. Oh, yeah. There's no plugs yet. Yeah, there's a lot of stress on the system then. Yeah. Let's talk about under-service services, undersized services. Yeah. How, how we talked about this. This yeah. is going to be a bigger problem moving forward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. There, there are things that are being worked on to make it less of a problem than it is now, but as it sits now, it is an issue, yeah, with electric vehicles. I, I would say undersized service up until now has probably been the biggest issue that I can think of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Not so much like smaller houses that were just, you know, 60 amp, 70 amp, but, but 100 amp services where people have put basement suites in them and they're yep. drawing additional laundry, dryers, and stoves, and yeah, um, pretty serious problem. No, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it can be if you're running your panel to its maximum power like if you if you run a panel to let's say you're running let me create a scenario mm-hmm. you have two stoves electric ranges mm-hmm. and you have two dryers and let's say you have an air conditioner and let's say you have a hot tub you, you're, I mean and you have a hundred amps of service yeah if in peak load time you're running a hundred and twenty amps through your panel yeah is your breaker gonna blow it should but will it will it you don't know. And it's Some really, of these old breakers I find, yeah. they've been sitting in the on position for so long that they just, they don't work. They don't move. <laughs> they don't work. You could give them a dead short and they're not going to work. Right. Because they just, they're just stuck on, right? So 
it's not a bad idea to go through your panel and flick them on and off once in a while, you know, once every couple of years at least. And right. Make sure everything's functioning still. The That's down, great the advice. The downside to that is that sometimes when you shut your breaker off, if it's a failed breaker, it ain't turning back on. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But at least you'll but know. But at least you'll know. You'll know on the good side, right? Yeah, yeah. The other downside is you got to reset all your clocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the blink, blink, blink. Yeah. So moving forward with electric vehicles, we're going to start wiring predominantly, I, I imagine the building code that's upon us yeah. is going to mandate in the, the potential to carry an electric charger for your vehicle. Yeah, we're not, we're not quite there yet, but yeah, I would think so. With yeah. everything going green, it makes sense, right? right. So, so do, do these things hold a lot of, well, they, they have a lot of load? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're taken at 100% load. So when, when you're sizing a service for a house, just to circle back to that, you should always look at what's called a demand calculation. Demand calculation is going to take into effect the usage rating of all the equipment in the house and spit out a number of wattage that's going to tell you, is your service the right size or not? Right. So when you look at that demand calculation and you've been adding things over time in that situation you're talking about, like you hire... An HVAC guy, he comes and puts a heat pump in for you, and he has a le his electrician that just kind of throws it in, and it could be permitted. Sometimes the, the inspection system doesn't catch everything. A lot of it is based off, you know, uh, reputation in the sure, honor yeah. system, really. So yeah. um, things slip through the cracks. So you could run into the situation, like you said, where you have a basement suite and a hot tub and an air conditioner on 100 amp service. Right. That's probably going to work as long as everything isn't on at the same time. But the way you would check that, it, it is done correctly, it would be to put all those, all that information from all that electrical equipment into a demand calculation. Which is like an algorithm for spitting out yeah. general uses of all the different things. Yeah, it takes into account the square footage of the house, the size of the house, and you know all the, the high load equipment, so. Right, yeah, you schooled me on this the other day. Yeah, yeah, so it, it could work to your benefit in the other way as well. Like you don't always need a service upgrade to accomplish what you want to do. You have to look at a, a lot of variables there because when you upgrade a service, you have to bring the whole service up to the latest regulations. That, right. That's not a cheap thing to do. So. No, because now you're changing everything that's been changed in the code book. Yeah. Like yeah. something in your kitchen, you're just trying to hook up a new panel and something in the kitchen that's not to code anymore would all have to be upgraded. Uh, not necessarily. You, you can reconnect the existing branch circuits in the yeah. house, but from hydro into the house has to be updated. Right. And in some cases, that could be a really big job. Sure. You know, uh, there wasn't always standards for bringing the ducts into the house or the point of attachment for you know, the overhead service or right. you know, the conduits, the meter bases, every, all that equipment. And there is a coordination factor with BC Hydro. So there, there, there's a lot of moving parts into doing that. Mm -hmm. So you wanna make sure you need to do it. And if it should be done. You should also be looking at that from a safety point of view to make sure your house isn't overloading. Gotcha. Because if that breaker isn't going to trip, it's going to create an overheated situation, which is going to burn that wire up and cause a problem, a right. way bigger problem. So let's generalize that there's 37,000 dwellings in Kamloops. Yeah. Let's say the average or the median, as I like to use that word in real estate, would be a 100 app service. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, if I'm in a townhouse with a 100 amp service and I'm going to buy a Tesla, do I have to upgrade my service to put a charger on that? 
Well, when you bring a strata into it. Okay, let's delete the strata. I don't want to complicate things. Okay. Let's say I'm in a 2,300 square foot home, single yeah. family detached home in Aberdeen. Yeah. And I have just the general stuff. I got a hot tub. I got an air conditioner, no suites, no, nothing weird. Yeah. Am I, do I need an upgrade? So here's the thing is they make them a little bit flexible with the electric vehicles. They come with what's called a level one charger. Okay. So that's going to plug into a, a dedicated 110 volt outlet. Oh, so it's going to work off your garage plug. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the yeah. downside to that is it's going to charge seven times slower. Right. So to get that increased charging ability, we need to amp it up to a level two charger. Level two chargers bring in a lot of headaches. So if you had a 100 amp service, air conditioning, 2,700 square foot house, you're probably going to need to upgrade your service. Would, you would have to punch all the variables into the demand calculation sure. to prove that. But yeah. that electric vehicle charger is taken at 100%. So um, and, and when I say that, I mean that charger, the full wattage that it requires to work is just added to that demand calculation. Like straight. It's not prorated. It's not derated. It's, yeah, yeah. it's just 100% right on top. Right. So, oh. so are you seeing that the average person is just getting this level one charger? Because it's the quickest, easiest way to get into it. Those are the ones that usually come with the vehicle. And right. They'll have adapters to go down to it and this, and the car will sense what it's able to pull in. Okay. Um, that is pretty standard usually at first. Yeah. And then people get a little frustrated with it, and then they start looking at the level two. Right. Sometimes they'll even buy the charger without talking to somebody. And then they realize, hey, well, you actually have to upgrade your service. And <laughs> you're looking, you know... Five, $3,500, $5,000 to do your service upgrade plus the charger install and everything else, right? So, so I imagine when you when you go into GM, they would educate you on all these extra costs. No. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they want to get that contract signed there first, yeah, I yeah. would think. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you want your monthly payment to be? Is the only <laughs> yeah. question they ask. Do you want us to include a charger? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to round out the, uh, the issues here. Yeah. Um, Aluminum wiring, another big one we see in Callum's. Lots of houses built in the mid-70s. Yeah. Um, you know, the pigtail them and move on. Is there, like, serious implications to those? Well, a lot of the problems that I've seen with aluminum wiring are um, usually on exterior walls. Okay. Because of the way the buildings were wrapped in that era. They, the moisture and the humidity and the, the temperature variations really affect that aluminum connection. Right. So it can cause a bit of corrosion there, which causes causes heat and resistance to build up. Right. Um, so that that's going to be one of your, your problem points. High usage plugs, you know, kitchens and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the other one that I see is where someone's gone through and swapped the devices, the switches, the plugs, that kind of stuff, used the wrong marettes and just used a new plug. They don't make a plug Right. That is acceptable for aluminum wiring. So when they put that aluminum wire under there, yeah. the metals actually start eating each other and right. cause a loose point. So yeah, yeah. once it's pigtailed, yeah. it's considered safe. I mean, insurance companies accept a pigtailed installation as long as it's signed off and permitted, done properly. Sure. Um, Defi it, just quickly safe. define pigtail. Pigtail? Yeah. So that's when you take bits of copper... Uh, and you, you attach the copper to the aluminum with a special compound and a special marette that's all rated for that, and you attach that to a new device. Right. Um, the older devices that they use then, a lot of people don't realize were made for aluminum wiring. 
right. when the new devices are not made for it. So you're looking at changing your devices out and doing that pigtailing method. And you ever heard? Have you ever heard of people doing copalum crimps? Copalum crimps. Yeah. <laughs> That's a no. Hmm. So I, I, when I was an inspector, I attended like a, an aluminum wearing like seminar in in the states. Okay. Where aluminum was was like had a bigger range than it did in Canada. Okay. And there, pigtailing was not the approved method. So there, they instead of pigtailing them, mm-hmm. there was a very unique crimp that mm-hmm. allowed those two guys to hang out together, like aluminum and copper, and they would physically crimp them. So you'd have a copper, it like pigtailing, but you were not allowed to use a moret style connection. Okay. It had to be a crimp. Interesting. And so everybody With was no moving. No compound. There's a compound on it too. Okay. Yeah, yeah there was a... Yeah, like a dielectric or something. Yeah. or something. Yeah, but but you couldn't pigtail them back then because I was like, oh, we just pigtail them all. Like they're just that's what they do. Yeah. Oh, they're like, no, 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 no. You cannot use morets in this application. Yeah. Because they can be tampered with, and the crimp was more of a handyman's not going to touch that sucker. I guess yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was a better, um, more. It might have more to do with not putting stress on that aluminum connection. Okay. When you strip the aluminum wiring, if. Yeah, most of the gauge of wire. So when we use copper, we're using 14 gauge for most of the receptacles in your house. 14 gauge is smaller than 12 gauge. It's kind of counterintuitive, but... The smaller the number, the bigger the wire. Yeah, exactly, right? So um, when you're using the 12 gauge, so if if you go to strip that wire on the 14 gauge setting on your pliers, you can actually create a small nick in that wire. Right. So when you go to twist it together under a moret that wire can actually break off or cause a weak point where that aluminum will fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you had a crimp, you're not doing that twisting motion, I guess, sure. and it, it, it would probably have a higher rate of success. But right. that's not one of the accepted methods here for some reason. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, aluminum wire. We've covered it a number of times in the podcast. Um, the only thing we haven't figured out is how many houses had aluminum wiring calibers. I do know how many houses were built in the 70s, so I bet you I could figure, I could give you a good range. Well, I don't see a chart on your wall here. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about GFCI issues, talked about pool issues, exterior wiring, like interior type compatible wiring used on the exterior. Yeah. Subgrade, you were at my, you were at my lot out in the lake Burial. there, and yeah. someone had buried that uh, extension cord. Probably yeah. a pretty common exterior no-no that people do from time to time yeah um, burial depths yeah you can you can touch on that one a lot so um, I, I think the biggest takeaway is that it's not a one shoe fits every foot kind of situation yeah. there are different types of wire for different situations so in residential, you're, you're looking for like a, a tech cable or an MDWU for outside. And the, the biggest difference between those is that they're, they're rated for UV, first of all, and second of all, the weather. They're rated to get wet. They're rated to, you know, be underground, buried in soil. Yeah. Soil can be acidic and actually eat and break apart insulation, right? Sure. So, um, yeah, I've you, seen like Lumex exposed let's say under a deck where the sun can hit it and it goes yellow yeah breaks down from the uv yeah and and that insulation becomes brittle right the copper is going to keep intact on the inside but the insulation will crumble off of it eventually then eventually expose that copper and cause a short 
and then where it's buried, that insulation is not rated to be buried. So there's, you know, if you're in acidic soil condition or, or there's probably, you know, rodents or whatever chewing that wire, yeah. um, they're actually, they're going to be able to get through it and short it out, right? And that That's can cause rules. a lot of problems. Why do they do that? <laughs> Why do they got to be like that? One, I had this picture years ago uh, when I was a home inspector, a lot of years ago. I took this electrical panel off, beautiful log home, beautiful. Yeah. As I was taking it off, I was like, man, it stinks in here. <laughs> and a mouse had crawled into one of the the holes, like where the wire going in. Yeah. He'd crept in there, and he had fried. Yeah. And it was recent because oh, he was still no. in the process of like he was still moist. Yeah. Oh, it was oh, so no. gross. I'm like, who's gonna put their hand in there? Yeah. That's, That's a live hot area. You can't. Yeah. You'd have to get the meter base pulled off, I guess, to shut that. Yeah, down. if it was on the main section there. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Love, to, love to say I haven't seen that before. I bet you have seen different things in walls, though, that are weird. Sorry, oh, yeah. I don't want to get off topic. No, you got any good stories? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where to start? Well, I'd say, uh, you know, one of the lesser known things is the you know, the clear, flat speaker wiring oh, good. that people use for speakers. Yeah. Yeah, that's not rated for power. No. <laughs> There's only two conductors there, and I've seen a cabin that was wired entirely in that stuff. No way. Did and it it's not even rated to be buried in, inside a wall. You can't even run a speaker off of that stuff buried inside a wall. Right. Yet I see that all the time. There's people pull it through. That's whatever the cheapest speaker wire they can get. But it's you need a, a special rating to pull a wire in the wall, and that rating basically is an insurance saying it's going to last inside the wall. Gotcha. This stuff crumbles and falls apart, especially when someone put 120 volts on it. The magnetic just, fields or something broke apart that insulation and started shorting out all over the place. And they were trying to figure out why the breakers kept tripping and things weren't working. Right. Um, yeah, between that and I, I've seen it all, really. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think I have, but I do learn something new all the time. So. Yeah. <laughs> Speaker yeah. wire. This probably electrical contractor came in. Don't worry, I do it for you on the side. It's way, way cheaper. Yeah. Way cheaper. Although <laughs> the speaker wire is not well, cheap. I might, yeah, that might have been a homeowner fix there. Yeah. Yeah. Wires yeah. wire, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> um, scorched plugs. See that a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Broken, broken cover plates are another one. Broken cover plates. Yeah. Something's exposed to. How, how many times have you seen like the actual junction box of an outlet loose or or better yet the actual like outlet fixture loose inside a junction box yeah and um, like so close to shorting out yeah yeah the electricity at 120 volts is it's not gonna it almost needs direct contact it's not gonna jump even you no, know a couple no. of millimeters to short there it needs to touch so it you know if that is screwed in relatively safe the tolerances on that plug aren't going to allow it to short out right but it's also it, it's it, with the metal junction box it's, it's not good right so yeah. what i do see a lot of though is uh there used to be what they call well there still is they're just less common now uh single gang gangable junction boxes right so those boxes actually they were two parts that screw together and you could screw different sections on to make it a bigger box, a wider one for more devices. Okay. Those, if they're not screwed together tightly or if they, they take an impact, say someone has something plugged in and you know they kick the plug and it goes sure. in the wall, that box will actually fall apart inside the wall. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a silly design. So um, I've seen that quite a bit where you've got, you know, just the plug hanging out off some wires inside a hole in the wall, right? So perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of interesting. Kind of a shocking scenario. <laughs> <laughs> you had to do it, eh? I had to. Yeah. No, we'll edit that out for sure. Yeah. Be on lamest jokes on the podcast for Let's sure. Let's title the episode "A Shocking Scenario." A shocking scenario. With Matt doing. <laughs> I mean, the list could go on, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, man. Thanks for being with us today, and uh, thanks for joining us on the Kelmus Insider Podcast, where we're bringing you really good information, uh, good data. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for lending me your ears, and I continue to try and provide the bestest ever information in the Kelmus market. I know Mallory's having a conniption with the word bestest, but it's my autograph. Take care.